0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. We're going to be taking this month, and we're going to be entering into a study uh, that we're entitling Empower. Uh, like I said, this past week, we had several, several kids, several adults, and people pitching in all over the place to, uh, to help make some things happen around here and around our community uh, to serve the community um, some of you may have seen the story on WSAZ. Did anybody see that news story that they covered the Empower Carter County here? Yeah, they, they did that. It was, it was really, really good. They may have interviewed someone that not even a snippet of that made it onto the air. At <laughs> some point, you just come to expect it, you know? But I want to talk to us this morning about being empowered. Empowered. And that's what we're going to be studying this month from the book of Acts. Um, And and I want to, I I normally introduce myself, uh, you know, if you're here for the first time, if you're visiting with us. uh, My name is Ben James. Most of the time I will say I am the lead pastor here, but this morning I want to add something to it. And I want to say that my name is Ben James and I am the preacher here at First Church of Christ in Grayson. Because I think that sometimes preaching can be something that is just what we've come to expect on Sunday mornings. Um, With the understanding, we're going to see here in just a moment, in Acts chapter 2, the early church started on the day of Pentecost. And when they moved from the upper room and they went out into the, the public where there were thousands of people there, the early church was launched at that point and it was launched with a sermon and it was launched with someone preaching uh... jim phillips uh... when he was still alive he would come by my office he would poke his head into my office and he would go hello preacher and that would be sometimes all he would say was just hello preacher and that always kind of stuck with me i said you know jim you can call me ben he went no sir you're my preacher And I'm not saying that to draw attention to myself, but I want us to understand something. While there are other areas that I am responsible for as pastor here at First Church, while there are other wrinkles and layers and obligations and expectations to what I do here, make no mistake about it, the preaching ministry that I have from this stage is the singular most important thing that I do here. Because I will be judged for many things on the day of judgment. But one of the things that I feel like this scripture makes abundantly clear is that I will be judged for the way that I handle and present and communicate and divide this word So as we enter into this message this morning, I wanted to lay a little bit of that foundation so that we could understand the importance. Is worshiping God in song important? Yes, absolutely it is. Is worshiping Him in different aspects, different creative ways, is that important? Yes, it is. But understand that the church was launched on the articulating of God's Word. And that is where we need to make sure that we never compromise. Now, while we can get excited, while we can get passionate, and while my voice can go up and down sometimes, and while that's not wrong, preaching is not about emotion. It's not about emotion from me trying to stir your emotions up. Now, we can be passionate about it, and we should be passionate about it. But it's about unpacking the truth of God's Word and presenting it. It's not about me coming up with some new innovative way or interpretation that's going to make you feel good or make you feel better about your life. It is rightly dividing the Word of God. And we'll see that, in my opinion, in Acts chapter 2, we're not going to read the whole of it, but if you go and you read the entirety of Acts chapter 2, you're going to see, in my opinion, apart from Jesus Christ... And the Sermon on the Mount, the singular greatest sermon in the history of the church. And it was the first sermon in the history of the church. But let me give you a little bit of a backdrop into the setting for this sermon. Fifty days, fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, his resurrection took place on Passover. Fifty days after that was something called the Feast of of Pentecost. And that's why we know it as the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2, we find the setting that Jesus has ascended 50 days after he rose from the tomb. So he he rose from the dead. He ascended about 40 days later. Then there was about a 10-day gap there. And on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after his resurrection, we see them in the upper room, about 120 of them, gathered together, praying, seeking the face of God, in unison, in unity. And then Acts chapter 2 begins with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, Acts chapter 2 can maybe be one of the most misunderstood chapters in the entirety of the Bible. And it can go all the way from uber-conservative to uber-liberal in its interpretation. But this morning, I want us to talk about the result of this happening. Not so much the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but the results of that. One thing that I do believe that needs to be made clear is that just as the advent, just as the birth, the death, The resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ was God's plan from the beginning. The coming of the Holy Spirit is just as much of the redemptive plan as Jesus Christ. Amen? So what we're acknowledging here is that the Holy Spirit is not an audible it's not this god sent jesus jesus was the plan from the beginning he was he was here he was crucified he raised he ascended and he's seated at the right hand of the father and it wasn't like that happened and god was like oh okay what do we do now okay i didn't see this coming the holy spirit coming and dwelling in believers new testament believers christ followers was part of god's redemptive plan from the very beginning the holy spirit is god's divine plan in our lives we see it talked about and prophesied and in type in the old testament we see jesus talking about it in particular an example in john chapter 14 jesus said and then there will come another and that word, another, comes from the Greek word, allos, which means of the same kind. So even Jesus is talking about this coming helper, this coming, coming support, and this coming companion, who, and he's saying, there's no difference between he and I. The only difference is, is, I'm here physically with you now. But when the comforter comes, when he comes, he's going to lead you and guide you into all truth. And He's going to dwell in you. You see, because the Holy Spirit was part of creation. It wasn't just like God created the Holy Spirit in order to send Him when Jesus was getting ready to ascend back into heaven. In the Old Testament, we see instances of God's Holy Spirit coming upon people. Coming upon men and women of God. But the difference that we see now as New Testament believers in the moment of the day of Pentecost, the difference was the Holy Spirit just didn't come and then go back like it did in the Old Testament. It came and stayed. The Holy Spirit came and stayed in our lives and in the lives of believers. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just come, dwell with us for a little bit and then depart. He comes and He takes up residence in the hearts of men and women. So I want us to look at what happened at, uh, on this day of Pentecost. So they go out from this upper room where they've experienced this feeling of the Holy Spirit, and they, which came in kind of like sounding like a hurricane. The best visual explanation that Luke could give us was that it was like tongues of fire. And then they go out into the community. They go out into the streets and into this area where it's just full of people because it's a festival of Pentecost. Thousands of people there, and then the explanation. Because what begins to happen is, is they begin to communicate to everyone in different languages. Again, there was a it was so culturally diverse of what would it, what it would have been on this feast, this festival and this feast of Pentecost that the disciples who were in the upper room began to open their mouths to explain what was happening because everybody thought they were drunk at around 9 o'clock in the morning. And they begin to explain what's happening, and what they're doing is they're speaking in their native tongue, but the people are hearing them in the language that they speak. It's a supernatural gift of tongues in Acts chapter 2 to where everyone could hear and understand. Just a quick little side note, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but how many of you remember what happened at the ta- Tower of Babel? What did God do? He confused the languages, right? Could we see a restoration taking place here on the day of Pentecost? That the, that the tongues were confused at the Tower of Babel, but coming here, explaining the Holy Spirit, explaining what God was doing in this comfort of this paraclete, this, this, this person, this third person of the Trinity was coming. Now all of a sudden people were speaking, and they were hearing in their native tongue. And then Peter stands up and begins to speak. Now I want us to look at a couple different areas this morning of this sermon. And the first is actually the servant, is the preacher that God chooses, that God uses in this situation. Peter, who just a little under two months prior, completely and totally denied even knowing Jesus Christ. Three times. Peter, the one who was always quick to speak, slow to listen. Peter, the one that was always sticking his foot in his mouth. Peter, the very one who decided that it was a good idea to rebuke Jesus. This Peter, this man who was... was kind of unhinged most of the time who had zero filters who had zero cares who just said it said it like it was didn't care how it happened if it was the truth and great it's the truth If it's not the truth and i'm going to act like it's the truth peter this man who had all kinds of history Peter, this man who would address crowds, who would cower away from them when being confronted because that was his denial. His three denials were someone, a servant girl, asking him directly to his face, hey, you know this guy, right? So in his conversations about Jesus, this is the same guy that two months prior was denying and, and backpedaling as quickly as he could away from any type of accountability, any type of possible persecution, any type of kickback that could have possibly come to him because of knowing Jesus. This was the same guy that did all that that's now standing up and declaring what's going on. Guys, there's something about the Holy Spirit because can I tell you that without sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit operating in your life, we are just like Peter. We get ourselves in far more trouble than what we need to. We don't say the right things. We don't have filters. Our opinions are the greatest thing in the world until they come out of our mouths and then we review our true level of intelligence sometimes. Sometimes we're more worried about what people think of us We're worried about fear of man. We're worried about the pride. We're worried about our reputation. We're worried about all of this stuff rather than serving and being obedient to Jesus Christ. That's the picture of Peter before the day of Pentecost and the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. And my friends, it's the same for me. (laughs) You all know me. Okay? It's not like I'm a transplant into this area that you've only known for a couple years. Some of you all watched me grow up. And you know, (laughs) you know this. And you know things that would easily disqualify me from being qualified or worthy to be standing up here, to be pastoring a church. You know me. You know my history. You know my flaws. You know my failures. You know my past and present ones. Guess what? Same's true with you. Because it's easy for us to look at Peter and think about all of his shortcomings and everything that would disqualify him. But each and every one of us, if it's left to our own merit, left to our own works, it's left to our own qualifications, each and every one of us fall woefully short to work for God. Not, Not only to work for God, but to be loved by God. I am not worthy to be loved by God. I'm not qualified to be loved by God. But He loves me anyhow. And He loves you anyhow. And that's good news. So, the first thing we see from this Acts chapter 2 story and this sermon that Peter was preaching is that the Holy Spirit empowered the servant. The Holy Spirit empowered the servant. The next thing we see is 12 of these 23 verses that's recorded here of Peter's sermon are Old Testament references. So in this sermon, the servant was empowered, and the Scripture was revealed. See, I have no business being up here if I'm not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Will you say amen to that? Hopefully you all agree with that. I have zero business being up here without being empowered by God's Holy Spirit. Secondly, we see Peter expounding on Scripture. See, Peter just didn't give up and give his interpretation. of. He didn't give up and just get up and give his opinion. He didn't get up and stand on his soapbox so he could further his platform. Peter stood up and referenced Old Testament scripture. 12 out of these 23 verses comes from either Joel chapter 2 or Psalm chapter 16. So that's one of the things that I hope that I will always be true to and hope that I will always be passionate to as your preacher is that this is what it's all about. It's not about my opinions. It's not about my takes it's about god's word and us coming together reasoning together learning together and studying his word and the next thing we see out of this sermon is that christ was exalted peter if you read this he goes through and he talks about he was born he was crucified he was resurrected and he ascended He gives the gospel presentation in this message. It's all about Jesus Christ. And he goes so far as to even, if you'll look in Acts chapter uh, 2, 22 and 23, he said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up accordingly to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Notice Peter's phrasing right there, Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus the Nazarene. This would have really stood out to them. You want to know why? Because that's exactly what they tacked onto the top of the cross in a sarcastic, mocking way. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. So Peter is exalting Christ. It's not about the works that the apostles are doing. It's not about who they are, what their background is, the fact that they walked with Jesus for almost three years it wasn't any of that he wasn't giving any of his resume to them he was saying this is about Jesus Christ this is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scripture that when Joel was talking about that your sons and your daughters and everyone will prophesy Jesus is coming so that when he ascends that the Holy Spirit may be poured out and this is what's taking place so we see that the That the servant is empowered. We see that the scripture is is articulated and expanded. And we also see that Christ is exalted. But there's some results that we see in this passage, too. Because believe me, one of the big questions that I have every time I preach is I wonder how much of that they remembered. I wonder, really, is the finishing move, the sanctifier, all that they're going to walk away from this message remembering? Likely. Likely. But when the servant's empowered, the Scripture's articulated, and when the Savior's exalted, there will be results. And the first is, is verse 37. Conviction comes upon hearts. Now, when they heard this, they were cut To their hearts. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? When the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached and the word of God is divided rightly, there's a decision that each of us have to make, it's a point of decision. We often call it conviction for those who are lost. It's a response to what you just heard. It's a response to what you just read. It's a response to what you just took part in. It's a response to what God is stirring in your heart. And what we see on this day of Pentecost with this sermon is that we see that when the sermon's done, there's conviction that falls upon the hearts of the men and women that heard it that day. The second thing that we see it can be found in verse 41 that there was conversion so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls so conviction will lead to conversion now doesn't always happen we all know this we all have family members i mean i've heard more in-depth Mark Hall's testimony that he was sharing up there. Mark, how, you don't have to give me, but you were probably convicted long before you were converted, weren't you? Okay, thumbs up. He's right above a light there, so he may have been taking a nap. I don't know. I know I can tell you that. That was a fact with me. I went through conviction long before I was converted. But what we see is we see conviction. Brothers, what must we do? What, 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 we've heard this. This is stirring something in us. What do we do with it? And they were converted, and they said that nearly 3,000 people. Which, again, with the cultural way that they counted, they just counted the men back then, there was probably multiple thousands more with women and children. And then, the last result we see is in verse 42, is that there was continuance in what they were doing. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I don't, again, many of you have known me the majority of my life. You know that intelligence, a high level of intelligence isn't necessarily one of my giftings. But, I don't find it I don't find it coincidental at all that we stepped away from the book of Ephesians and one of the last the very last points that we covered was Paul making a plea for them to do something For them to get involved. Remember that we covered the spiritual gifts. We talked about the body fitly joined together. We talked about us all doing something and being part of the work. And now we're walking into this month of service, this month of being empowered, this month of where we step right into Acts chapter 2. And the very thing that we see once the sermon is done is that there was a continuance of serving God. Brothers and sisters, your your commitment to god his commands to you do not stop once you get up out of that pew it does not stop in this building it's to go with you there is work for you to do there's a continuance If you are here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've repented, you're living your life for Him, you've been baptized, then you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, empowers you to do the work of the ministry, do what God's calling you to do. There is no reason, no reason at all, why our work stops here in this building. Can I get an amen on that. So there's some practical elements that I want you to take away from this this morning. First, is that your past or your present, no matter how bad, no matter how heinous, no matter how cringy, no matter how terrible it is, your past or your present does not disqualify you from the love of God. If anyone would have been disqualified because of their past. It would have been Peter. Yet he was the one that God chose to empower to speak this message on the day of Pentecost. If there would have been another one that would have ever been disqualified because of his past, it would have been the Apostle Paul who spent his life as Saul persecuting Christians. But God empowered him to be one of the most influential men in the early church. Responsible for the majority of the New Testament that we read today. I don't care what lie the enemy has told you. I don't care what maybe your parents, your family members, your co-workers, your friends, whatever. I don't care what they've told you. You are not disqualified from receiving the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. God can and God will empower you to do His work. There's nothing that disqualifies you in your past from that. So do not believe that lie any longer. Don't believe the lie that what you, you may have done, the most despicable thing in your life, right before you walked into these doors this morning. Do not let the enemy convince you and lie to you and tell you that that disqualifies you from what God has in store for you. My friends, none of us are worthy. None of us are worthy. Secondly, you don't get too old to work for God. We don't time out of this thing. We don't find a retirement age for working in the ministry. Now, it may look different from what it has been. It may look different than what it had ever been before. But if I'm drawing breath, I am still under the command to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as I possibly can, in any way that I possibly can. You're never too old. This morning, church, we are empowered by God's Holy Spirit. To do the work of the ministry, I want to ask Kennedy and Thomas if they would to come back up for me. I love the challenge in this passage. We find it in verse 40. This is at the very, very end of Peter's sermon. He says, and with many, this is Luke's account, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And that plea was made after exalting Christ One of the most amazing sermons that you'll ever read, you'll ever hear, you'll ever see. And I believe that's the same thing that we need to be challenged with this morning.